All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Don Pizzette, and in the studio with me today, I have my good friend and uh, fellow edutainer over at IT Pro TV, Mr. Daniel Lowry. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Man, glad to be here. I'm uh, really excited. My first podcast with you. <laughs> well, your first and, and maybe your last. Yeah, we'll that's see. Right. <laughs> this is the podcast that killed Daniel. Depends on how Daniel. much of this beer I get done with before <laughs> we get to the end of it. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we, we do have a couple of beers because there's a celebration going on outside of the studio doors. So if you hear that, there's you know, people partying, going crazy. Uh, mass hysteria, dogs, cats living together. That's right. uh, <laughs> <we> have, <laughs> Basically, the worst parts of the Bible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We have a, a good show lined up for you, though, because what we're going to be talking about in this episode is kind of a, a fun one. We're going to be talking about how to pick a Linux distribution, right? Linux is the hot operating system right now. I, I don't know. I guess we could say that every three or four years <laughs> yeah. is the cycle you go through where where people really want to learn more about Linux. And if you're just getting started, or even if you've already kind of got your feet wet with Linux, one of the biggest challenges we have is figuring out which kind of version or distribution of Linux that we want to run. So Daniel and I are going to sit here and we're going to put our heads together, uh, not not physically, and uh, <laughs> try and figure out uh, what's the best way to go about choosing which distribution is right for you. All right. So, um, you know... When I think about distributions, let's let's start off on a slightly different uh, thought here, Daniel, and, and talk about what was what was your first Linux distribution that you used. Where did you get your start? Okay, I got my start with Red Hat because it was probably at that time. This was 1999, right? Uh, yeah, definitely 1999, mid 1999. I was playing around with uh, you know I'd seen some movie and it had computer hackers in it. And that's, I was on fire with that. So I'm going to be a hacker. I'm going to be a hacker. One of these guys with uh, a bunch of certifications after his name said, if you want to be a hacker, he slid the uh, Red Hat distro across the table and said, if you can get this installed, I'll be impressed. <laughs> right? And I said, oh, you know, gauntlet thrown, gauntlet picked up. Give it here. And I spent the rest of the day getting installed, and I played Mahjong. <laughs> I'm sure I got it working. I can play Mahjong. Yeah. I was like, how do I hack now? <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, where I got my start, I, I can remember I had a friend in high school. His name was Nick Johnson. And uh, Nick was the one who who told me about Linux. I hadn't heard about it before. And, and he said, Don, you got to try this. You got to try. And he was actually pushing X Windows more than mm. he was Linux. He's like, you got to try X Windows. It multitasks so well, it'll make you wet your pants. Like, that, that's, that's what he said. I remember to this day, like, I'm going to run this. I'm going to wet my pants. It's yeah. awesome. Um, and so what, what I got was Slackware Linux, right? And that's, that's where I started with Slackware. Did you frame and... the urine stained pants? <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is the result of this me running. Day. Now, back then, uh, they were floppy disk based distros and probably mm. for you too, right? Red Hat? Uh, was it floppy at that time? No, it was a CD. He, he gave me, well, it was, it was a few CDs. Oh, was, CD, so, you're not. Yeah, I got Poser. So. <laughs> I, uh, I did run slack though for a while uh, actually it was my distro church for quite some time uh but everything was cd based because uh, cd burners had just come out and i think we all pulled our money together and bought one so we, we could share stuff like that yeah I, I i don't think anybody sticks with the distro they started with yeah. you know most people start with one and then they find some selling point that moves them to another one and that's what i want to talk about here in this episode and i i kind of uh ruin my uh Your my anticipation here yeah uh -huh. so there's a really cool website out there called distro watch and i wanted to show that here for you guys that are that are just getting started um so if you if you know next to nothing about linux and you want to get your start distrowatch.com they these guys have been around for a long time this is the best it, website that 1997 had to offer yeah it's <laughs> it's certainly not um 
you know, uh, Internet 2.0 or no, Web 2.0. No. It's, it's a little bit on the ancient side. But what they do is they track Linux distros based on usage, right? Based on downloads, right? Which ones are really active and, and hot right now? And that's important because there are a lot of Linux distributions that, and they come and go, right? It might be something that's really popular right now. Um, you know, Daniel, wasn't it, weren't you the, the, the Mandriva fan? Yeah, yeah, huge man. Well, I started back when it was Mandrake and started Mandrake, working with that's that. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and like uh, 2001, I think I got my first Mandrake distro. And I was like, oh, this this is the Linux for the masses, right? They've finally done something that a normal person could actually use. And it was really instrumental with moving. And then, of course, they changed to Mandriva and it went from there. <laughs> yeah, you know, their, their selling point was, we're going to take the Linux operating system and we're going to make it look like Windows 95. Yeah. You know, you had the, the start button at the bottom left and the system tray at the bottom right and a couple of icons on the desktop. It, it looked like Windows. So if you were coming from the Windows environment, Mandrake was was great, right? You, you it really minimized that learning curve. But Windows changed over time and started to look <laughs> different ways and people wanted to be more independent and separate. And so that kind of spelled the... The, the end for that distro. And I, I'm not even sure if it's still, is, is Mandriva still in active I development? I want to say that like, I don't remember correctly, it may have stayed Mandriva or it changed names. And then it, I think it was up until like mid 2000s. And then I think it kind of kicked off. You know off. what? I know a way we can find out, which is thanks to DistroWatch, right? So, That's right. Yeah, it tells <laughs> this exactly. Whole, this whole site that I pulled up. Uh, so DistroWatch, they, they track distributions based on downloads and they track their lifetimes and whether they're getting active commits, right? Whether people are putting in code changes to keep them up to date. And one of the coolest things they do is, um, it's actually not them, but uh, one of their uh, viewers or visitors wrote a script that scrapes all the information from DistroWatch and it assembles it together into what they call the family tree of Linux distributions. And for those of you watching a video, I, I've actually got it pulled up on my screen. For those of you that are just listening in, when you get a chance, go to distrowatch.com and, uh, and just do a search on there for family tree and you'll find it. And they take all the distributions and they map them out based on their family tree. Now, the interesting part here is Linux is open source. So anybody can go and download the source code for Linux. And that means that if you want to create your own distribution, if I decide it's time for Don Linux or Donix or whatever we want to, <laughs> to call it, uh, I'd have to come up with some borderline obscene name. Yeah, and, I was uh, say, we're real close. <laughs> so, so, uh, so if I want to create my own you know, Linux variant, uh, I can. And plenty of people do. And a lot of them don't stick around very long because it's tough to maintain a Linux distribution. Every time there's an update, every time there's a patch, a security fall, you've got to get in and update your, your distro and, and re-push it out as ISO files for people to be able to get. And it takes a lot of work and not many people can do it. And so there have been countless distributions that have all come and gone. And, uh, and just looking at it from a high level here, you can see there are literally hundreds of different distributions, which is why it's so hard for us to go and pick which one we want to run. Now, at the high level, looking at this family tree, you'll notice that there's a couple of entries here that are way back at the beginning that everybody kind of splinters off from. That at the end of the day, when I say, hey, it's time to pick a distribution, there's really only three or four real choices for somebody just getting their start. All of the other distros are usually purpose-built. They have a specific purpose, an intended reason for their utilization. But for general usage, there's really three, maybe four big players that you're going to see. And they're the ones that are sitting at the heart of that diagram. So if I bring that, uh, let me bring that back up. And I'm going to zoom in a bit on this thing because it, it's- That's not it, zooming It's in. gigantic. Oh, there <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
And I want to hit some of these higher level ones, right? So uh, the first one here is Slackware. And I mentioned Slackware. Slackware has been around a long time. This is arranged by date, right? So this goes back to 1994, right? So Slackware came out in 1994. And that distribution is still available today. You can go and download completely updated versions of that distro from Slackware.com. And uh, where is it? Slackware.org. Always also mix that up. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so you can download distros from that and, and run it. It works great. Over the years, many people have splintered off of it. So you'll see like bear ops here, but see how bear ops kind of fades off that it lasted a year. And after a year, the project was abandoned and you'll see that a lot. The last thing you want to do is start building an infrastructure around a distribution that's going to taper off, right? Here's some that have been around for like uh, uh, Ultima Linux was around for four years before tapering off. So Slackintosh, for, I remember that Slackintosh, one. <laughs> yeah, they tried to make it, <laughs> yeah. tried to make it look like a Mac again, trying to to minimize that learning curve. But if you have a thousand servers and you've deployed, uh, you know, NetWazix, which is just a dumb <laughs> name in the first place, uh, but if you deployed that and after two years they stop supporting it. Now you've got to move away from it. Otherwise, security exploits are going to come out. They're not going to get patched. And now you've got a real problem. That's one of the challenges we have with selecting a distro. And Don, this this really kind of brings back that point of you know, a lot of these are purposeful built. So uh, it, it's for me, it's always good to stick with the main fork of the distro, right? So just install Slackware. You know Slackware is going to continue to, you know, we're and grind. It's always going to be around, or at least it's going to be around a long time because it has been around a long time. So you have a good chance of that still being there for you, documentation, support, all that stuff being there. And then if you do jump into one of those more purposefully built ones, you got a better idea of how it's gonna go. And if it does go the way of the Dodo, well, you're great. You just you just jump back to Slackware and, and you're off to the races. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know uh, uh, for me, I, I love Slackware. It's, yeah. it's where I got my start. I don't run it on any systems today. Yeah, I mean, right. And and the reason is it, it, it holds true to trying to be as Unix-like as possible. But that means that it's missing certain features that we've got in other distros that make them a little more useful. So Slackware is the root of a number of different distros that are out there, but it's just not that popular anymore. Mm -hmm. In fact, in today's world, the majority of the distros come from one of two different sources, right? The the next one, let me just kind of scroll down here in the list, um, even you, below that. You so just got a hint. You, you got <laughs> Fedora right there, but Fedora is actually a splinter off of the one that I wanted to mention. It keeps going down right here, Red Hat, yep. right? So Red Hat Enterprise Linux or R-H-E-L, uh, Red Hat actually started back in 1997, I believe. So uh, a long time ago, and they were the first commercially supported Linux. With the other ones, like with Slackware, if you run Slackware and you have a problem, if something doesn't work, you can post in a forum, you can post on their mailing list mm. and then you'll get uh, 10 derisive comments about how you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So say, uh, have fun uh, at the, over at uh, OpenStack or uh, one of those. Those guys are really great people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the uh, um, you will uh, get Stack your, Overflow. Yeah, you'll get your question answered, but you'll also get a lot of people that are like, why would you want to do that? Who cares why I want to do it? I, I need to do this and I need someone to help me figure out how to do that. So completely yeah. answer my question. So there's, there's no help, right? Yeah. I mean, that's basically what you get when you, when you go with one of those distros. With Red Hat, uh, it, it's not free. It costs money. It's shocking, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you pay money, but in exchange for that money, you get support. Now, if something goes wrong, you can call Red Hat on the phone or submit an email ticket, and they've got engineers and developers on staff that will help you. So for businesses, Red Hat is like the way to go, but it's not free. 
you know, right. and so it does cost money. But I know for me, when I'm approached by a business that's looking to deploy Linux, Red Hat's kind of my go-to, or it's been my go-to for a long time. Things are kind of changing in the landscape today. Now, Don, you've, you've worked more on the enterprise level of uh, Linux than I have. How does it compare to something like a Windows as far as like money, licensing, and support? So price-wise, Red Hat can actually be a little more expensive really? than, than Windows. It depends on, on what level of support you're going for. Like just the base OS license is cheaper than Windows, but the support license to be able to call and open up tickets is more expensive than Windows. So Red Hat Enterprise Linux, in a lot of scenarios, if you work out the numbers, ends up being more expensive than Windows. And so you might say, why wouldn't I just run Windows? Well, there's a huge amount of arguments. So you're watching a show. I'm picking a Linux show. So I think you probably understand. You've already made that decision. <laughs> <laughs> that Windows is kind of this bloated beast that has way too much stuff in it. With Linux, you pick and choose what goes into it. And so you can make it as thin and agile as you need and minimize your attack surface. And that's really important. But when you compare Red Hat Linux to another distro, right? Like, uh, like Slackware. If I go and download Slackware right now, it's gonna have the latest Linux kernel in it, right? Just the newest kernel possible. And it's going to have a lot of other resources and libraries like PHP libraries and stuff that are the most current. But when you go and download Red Hat, it'll be several versions behind. It'll usually be two or three kernel versions behind, two or three PHP libraries behind. It, it'll be behind. You lost me, Don. I'm not getting this piece of junk. Well, and, and, <laughs> but, and, but you would think, right? That's that's probably like the first thing that jumps into your brain is like, I'm not, I'm not going that way. I don't wanna go with what's behind but it's really a misnomer to think of it as behind, right, Don? Absolutely, yeah, because you know, what we're really talking about is stability, right? Red Hat wants to make sure their version of Linux is rock solid, stable, up and running, and not necessarily the latest and greatest, but secure and reviewed by a commercial organization. That's what their goal is. So for businesses, Red Hat's a great solution. But for a home user, let's say I, I want to put this on my computer at home. I want to run Steam and fire up, uh, you know, whatever video game came out recently. I'm not good at this part of the game, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, so I want to fire up something and, and play it on my system. It's not going to run on Red Hat. It's several libraries behind, right? It's just not going to work. And when you start going to websites and downloading Linux software, a lot of them will have packages made for, for uh, like Ubuntu, for example, but they won't have it for Red Hat because Red Hat's too far behind and it's really in the business space anyway. So who's going to run a video game yeah. in, in the business space now? There are variations that splinter off of Red Hat, right? Um, the, the one that I showed a moment ago was Fedora. Fedora is like their experimentation branch. If you fire up Fedora, Fedora is free. You can go download Fedora right now. It's a fedoraproject.org. You can download it from them and it's by the Red Hat people. It's actually controlled by the Red Hat company, but it's free, which means no support. And it's at the latest libraries. It is running the latest kernel. It is running all the other stuff. They do all their testing in Fedora. And when something is nice and stable and safe in Fedora, then it gets brought into Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So Red Hat and Fedora are technically the same thing, same company. Right. It's just one is the cutting edge of technology and the other one is the stable, reliable enterprise technology. That's that difference between the two. Now, Don, we've been... Uh, we, we've made a focus, I think, on uh, enterprise level because uh, we've, we've talked about Slackware, which definitely that can be used anywhere you like, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's kind of chameleon when it comes to itself as a distribution. But Fedora, uh, Red Hat definitely is enterprise level. I might put Fedora on a home computer, use it that way. But um, they also have CentOS, right, which is oh, yeah, which is is Red Hat <laughs> Enterprise Linux 
pre-ized for me so that I can work with it and use it, but I, I'm not getting the support of Red Hat, right? I, yeah, I can't believe I, I almost forgot to mention CentOS. <laughs> um, so Red Hat's pretty awesome. Red Hat Enterprise Linux, I, like I said, I, I've used it uh, for many, many years. And a number of, in fact, if I, I guess you can't really see it, but can I move this camera? <laughs> Let's see. I don't know what my, my studio capabilities are here, yeah. but, uh, but on my wall back here, I've got my like history of, of Red Hat copies that I've bought over the years right next to my copy of Microsoft Bob. So, uh, <laughs> so I've, got, uh, I, I've used it for a long time and it's great, but it does cost money, right? Yeah. And, and if your company is paying for that, great. But if you, if you want to get in for free, because Linux is supposed to be open source and free and all that, Red Hat's not quite like that. Well, because of the license that's applied to the Linux kernel, right? The, the GNU license and all that stuff, Red Hat has to release the source code for anything that they've changed inside of, of the, you know, the Linux operating system right. and the surrounding uh, support software. And they do that. They release the code. So what CentOS is, is the CentOS guys, it's a, an open source project, although most of the, the main CentOS team actually does work for Red Hat. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but, it, but a lot of them do officially work for Red Hat. Uh, what they do is they take that code. They remove all the Red Hat logos because that's trademarked and copyrighted. And then they redistribute it as CentOS, the community enterprise operating system. And so you get the stability and security updates and so on that you get from Red Hat, but without the price and without the support, right? You don't, you don't get support with CentOS. Now, I will say that um, I used to use CentOS for a handful of projects, and I've kind of become a bit jaded with it over recent years because they've been getting progressively slower to mm. adopt updates and new versions and things. So uh, if there's a critical security exploit, they'll patch that really fast, right? But if there's just some quirky little annoying bug, Sometimes they take a little while to get that fixed. And when a new version of Red Hat Enterprise Linux comes out, so like when when 6.6 .6 came out or, or 7.0 came out, it took CentOS a long time to get to 7.0. It was, a, it, was, it was, I don't know, it was well over eight months before that came out. So there's a, a big lag in, in updates on that side of things, which puts you even further behind for an OS that's already right. behind on purpose. So that's kind of a negative on CentOS. But CentOS... Fedora and Red Hat are all related. Fedora is the cutting edge one. Red Hat's the commercial enterprise one that's a bit behind, but is stable and supported. And CentOS also a bit behind, stable, no support, right? So that's kind of the difference between those three. Right. Now, the newer player to the game that I want to talk about is Canonical. Canonical is a company that, like Red Hat, said we need to have some kind of commercially supported Linux. And they created Ubuntu. And Ubuntu Linux, which uh, let me let me see if I can find that in our crazy chart here. So I'm still did on Canonical, Red Hat. Uh, create Ubuntu, or did they acquire them? I thought they created it. Did okay, they... I, I, I never knew. I never uh, heard the story on that. I could certainly be wrong. Yeah, but uh, and I don't know, maybe one of you viewers out there can can enlighten me. But uh, um, I've always heard of Ubuntu as being part well, of Canonical. Canonical. Um, so anyway, Ubuntu, big big name, right? A, a lot oh, yeah. of people talk about it. Um, and as I scroll down, I'm actually not going to find Ubuntu. What I'm looking for is Debian, right? Which might seem kind of odd that Ubuntu is this big name. And let me let's scroll back up. To, <laughs> I think I scrolled right past Ubuntu. Um, we'll see how much. Oh, here it is. Here's there Ubuntu, is. Yeah. right? And see all these little splinters off of Ubuntu. The more people that have forked Ubuntu into custom distros, that shows you how, how popular and, and stable that OS is. So Ubuntu, very, very popular distribution, but it in and of itself is a split off of another one, Debian. Now Debian Linux has been around a long, long time. Uh, and the name is derived from the, the original creator and his 
wife, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so it's Deborah and Ian, mm -hmm. which is why it's Debian. Um, and so Debian Linux, back in the day, right, you had Slackware, which was trying to be the most Unix-like possible. So that was mm. considered the true Linux, right? That was the one. And then you had Red Hat, which was trying to be the business Linux. And you had Debian, which was focused on being the best developer one. It was the one that had all the developer tools installed by default. And, and it was the one that was designed really to support developers. It might not have the latest and greatest kernel, but it always had the latest and greatest developer libraries and applications. That was what they focused on. Well. If you focus on the developers, guess what happens? The developers develop on it. Yeah. And all of a sudden you start getting all this software out there that's written that absolutely supports Debian because that's what the developers used. And right. then maybe supports Red Hat or maybe supports another distro. And so Debian had that developer kind of uh, grassroots acceptance. I'm, I'm wondering if because of that, like when you, when you especially when you jump into Ubuntu, Ubuntu is very good at being being usable right one of one of the problems with linux with people that are trying to get into it is it can be a bit of a of a struggle right to get it to do things yeah. you want to do and ubuntu just seems to kind of work most of the time and i wonder if that comes from the fact that it's forked off a of debian or debian and they're, they're always putting in the latest and greatest things to trying to keep it current and workable all right so what you just said <laughs> are reasons why I like Ubuntu yeah. and reasons why I hate Ubuntu. Right, I am right. it's a very torn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ubuntu is probably the most popular Linux distribution today. So the reality is at the end of this episode, most of you are going to pick Ubuntu as a distribution to use. I'm very torn. Um, I hated Ubuntu for many, many years. And and only recently, like I'm actually running Ubuntu on this machine that I'm you using on the show. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm forcing myself to use it right yeah, now. Because it works. Well, no, <laughs> I, I'm forcing myself to use it because everybody else uses the freaking thing. And so I have to be able to answer questions about it. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Fedora guy normally. I right, normally right. run Fedora on my systems. So um, uh, so the reason that I'm doing this and the reason I think that Ubuntu is so popular is they took Debian as their base because that gave them the developers. And then they took it and they made it friendly for end users. Yeah. And they said, we're gonna make this end user friendly. And the way they did it was by throwing so much crap in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Daniel, think about your first distro. My, my, my first distro, I installed Slackware Linux. It fit on four floppy disks. That's so, true. You know, That's less true. than 10 megabytes of stuff. And, and that used to be the big selling point of Linux was that it was so streamlined. It was high speed, low drag, no frills. It works and it works fast. It's super stable, rock solid, right? That was the big thing. And that Windows was this big beer gutted bloat monster, <laughs> right? That you don't want that, man. You got to have this and that. And the only thing that's good for is running your favorite video game, right? That that was it. Right. Now we're starting to see because that end user market, they're trying to get into there, and Ubuntu is a really good step in that direction. But then you you start that scale starts tipping, yep. and things become more equal. Ubuntu was the first distribution I ran into where the installer, you couldn't burn it to one DVD, like yeah. one standard size DVD. Uh, it was that big. And the reason was they just crammed a bunch of crap in there. And, and it, it was, I shouldn't say crap. Who needed to download Technology. and install anything, Don? <laughs> you could just have it in the CD <laughs> itself, right? <laughs> and for a server, that's terrible, right? We don't want that. With the server, we want... Uh, just the bare minimum, right. but on a workstation, they said, you know, what? we're going to throw it all in there and we're going to make it super easy for end users. And they did. Yeah. And it, and it was right. It was super easy for end users. And, uh, and so people started adopting it. Now, there were people like me that didn't adopt it because I didn't want all that crap. Yeah. And so if I installed Ubuntu, I had to start removing stuff, which was a pain versus if I installed 
uh, you know, Red Hat, then I would have a base install and then I would add the software I wanted. I liked that angle. Well, Ubuntu's gotten a lot better over the years and really computers have gotten faster and a four gig install is really just a joke these days. So who, who even cares if it's yeah. if it's bloated like it, it used to be or technically still is. So it, it's gotten better about that. A lot of people like it. What I don't like is they've made a lot of decisions with the UI and uh, you'll, you'll see battles about this where uh, when they switched to the comp is Windows compositor and, and they did uh, the Unity interface. Mm -hmm. I hate the Unity, Unity interface, um, the, the interface that I'm, I'm in right now on this PC <laughs> suffering using. slowly. I get so frustrated. I mean, just simple, simple things like, okay, if I go to browse my file system over here on the left, I've got all these folders, right? Yeah. And I've got some bookmarks. Like I made this storage bookmark, which is really nice. Or maybe, maybe I go in here to this examples folder and I'm going to bookmark this thing, right? So, so there, I've got this example content bookmark that I just made, right? But then if I go into some other software and I go to file and open and I start navigating, God damn it. They brought it over. Uh, there's, there's times. <laughs> made a liar out of you. I know. Man. It made yeah. me a liar. There's times where that bookmark won't show up here. And, and yeah, it's showing up for Some me. Some guy from Canonical is going, you were saying. I know. They're like, <laughs> oh, I got you. But but there's times where just simple things like that aren't connecting together. And it makes the, the interface frustrating to me. So I usually end up switching to XFCE or one of the other interfaces. But but again, I'm, I'm forcing myself to use this right now because so many people use it. This is the most popular distro that's out there that if you're supporting Linux, you've got to be able to support what's the most popular. So, sometimes we have to use what we don't like. And Don, if we're going, if we're, because obviously we're heading down that route, we're, we're start maybe talking about someone who's like, okay, this Linux thing seems to be pretty hot. It seems interesting to me. I want to kind of start dipping my toe in that water. You're, maybe you're not an enterprise person, or maybe you are and you just never used Linux before and you need something to help acclimate you. Like Ubuntu is a great way to go. It's probably going to be yeah. uh, uh, something that's going to be suggested by just about everybody. But going down Ubuntu Linux Mint, right? Linux yeah. Mint, great desktop experience is a fork of Ubuntu. And just, they. I think they do what Ubuntu should have done, but they do it right. Yeah, yeah, they... Um... They actually, they had a bit of a security snafu not too long ago, but aside from that, yeah. um, you know, if, if you only have one computer and you want to install Linux on the computer, not in a virtual machine, you actually want to run the OS, Ubuntu is a great one to start with because it, it'll be working for you by the end of the day, right? That when you install other distros, sometimes you got to work at it a bit. There's things you got to sort out, drivers and so on, and it's hard, which... I make the argument of, hey, that, that's going to help you learn. You really learn about the system. When things don't work and you have to fix them, you learn a ton. If I just install Ubuntu and it all works on day one, what did I learn? I learned how to click next 15 times. Yeah. So th there's arguments kind of both ways. In the server world, I never run Ubuntu. Now, that doesn't mean I shouldn't, right? Because Ubuntu, they do offer commercial support. You can actually sign up for a support agreement with them. Now you've got a person you can call for help. And when you install their server stuff, all the bad things I just said about Ubuntu don't apply to the server side. When you do an Ubuntu server install, you can do a minimal install. It's very small, very, very tight. And you add the software you want to it, and then it starts to, to grow. But now it's growing for the right reason. Right. And you can get support. And so if you're doing something like setting up an auto-scaling cluster in the cloud, and yeah, I got 10 servers today, but I might scale to 1,000 servers tomorrow. It's nice to have Ubuntu, which is free. And then I can get a support agreement to do support calls, and that works out great. Versus Red Hat, which is not free. And if I have 100 servers today and I might need 1,000 tomorrow, I need to make sure I own 1,000 licenses because I can't just go and spin up 1,000 servers at a moment's notice. So on the server side, there's a lot of good reasons to go Ubuntu. On the workstation side, there's good reasons there too because it's easy to use and you can get support. 
And those are all reasons why we're seeing it be such a prevalent operating system and why you're seeing people people like me, people that are, are yeah. red hat guys that are now starting to use it because well, because everybody else. And Don, <laughs> if you, you pair that with the whole idea that Windows and Ubuntu are starting to really play nice, so much so that you're going to have Ubuntu on Windows, right? Bash and Windows. Oh, yeah. Right? That yep. whole thing is happening. It's going to just continue to grow. And, you know, we've had that conversation quite a few times. Man, the Windows guys, they're just making it too easy for Windows guys to go, well, it just I'm used to Ubuntu now, so yep. I'm just one I'm going to use. Yeah, so that one that one's definitely a, a big player that's out there. You mentioned Linux Mint. There's a number of, of smaller players that are out there, like Gentoo Linux, mm. Arch Linux, Linux Mint, that are all worth mentioning here, right? They're all very, very popular, um, just not on the same level as some of these other guys. Some of these other guys are, are really, really big. And then there's there's some even more purpose-built ones, like um, Edu Linux, where it's, it's yeah, for schools. And, they have um, um, Elementary, which looks very uh, Mac-like. There's um, Zorin. Which is very, if you're a Windows person, you want to come over. Zorin will probably be a, a good step for you on that. So depending on what platform you're trying to get away from or you're, that you're used to. <laughs> what you're running and, from. And you want to continue with that type of experience but still play with Linux, they've got something for you out there. Yeah. The uh, the only other one that I want to mention real quick is uh, OpenSUSE. Oh. Which here in the U.S. we don't see as, as much as in Europe, a very popular in Europe. Um, OpenSUSE is, is Linux. It's been around for a while. And here's why we don't hear about it. Their their ownership has changed many, many times. Uh, who are they? Are owned? they not owned by, owned by Novell? Novell, yeah. yeah. They, or they own Novell or Novell owns no, them? Novell owns them, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so it's another enterprise-supported Linux that's maybe not the bleeding edge of technology like Fedora or Ubuntu might be. But uh, but it does have commercial support behind it. Microsoft has some contract deals with them for support, and a number of other vendors support that. So that's another one. Um, and then there's other ones like Oracle's Linux, mm. which is really just a fork of CentOS, which is a fork of Red Hat. So you know, it's kind of this this commingled history of distributions that are out there. But really, if we had to boil it down to a couple of choices, if you're going to learn Linux today and you're looking to get started, you're usually going to find yourself either in the Red Hat, Fedora. Ubuntu or um, maybe Arch Linux. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Arch. I mean, I, it's more of a... Arch's big selling point is they support a lot of different architectures, right? That's what yeah. the Arch in Arch Linux is all about. So if you have a an old PowerPC Mac or some ARM-based system or whatever, they have versions of Linux, whereas most of the other providers focus on the AMD 64 CPUs. Mm -hmm. So if you got weird hardware, Arch Linux is great. But Mint has its, um, what is that... Um... Oh, they, they have uh, like mates, M-A-T-E. Mm -hmm. They have that. That's really great for older hardware. So if you want to throw mint, mint on top of it, uh, they have a distribution for that. You know, we'll have to do another podcast on that, choosing your window manager, right? Because yeah. <laughs> what we're talking about really is the underlying operating system. But on top of your operating system, you run a window manager. So I was complaining about Unity a minute ago. Unity is just a window manager on top of Ubuntu. I could throw it away and switch to something else. Yeah. There's... XFCE, which I love. Black there's um, uh, Unity. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, Cinnamon on on uh, Cinnamon uh, Mint uh, uh, Mate, which has been around Mate. a while. I don't know why it's said that way. Um, because it's Bloodsport. Remember, say Mate. Oh, is that what it's from? Yeah, that's how that's how you like tapped was like out. A... Was you said Mate? So it's giving up. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I, if that's how it's pronounced, it was. From I thought Bloodsport. it was named after some like African tea or something like that. <laughs> Maybe it is. I, I was just saying. <laughs> if you watch Bloodsport. We, 
He will say mate. <laughs> well, uh, we should we should start making up reasons like just because nobody yeah, really knows. No like, real reason. It's called yeah. Ubuntu because that actually is uh, the name of the third toe on an elephant's foot, <laughs> and uh, that's the most powerful toe. The cliff claim <laughs> uh, reasons, right? <laughs> All right, so um, so choosing a window manager because you've got um, GNOME two, which technically Mate is just a continuation of GNOME two, and then you've got GNOME three, which Cinnamon is a continuation of right. GNOME three, and then you've got well, KDE, GNOME, right? KDE, KDE yeah. Enlightenment. I mean, there's several others that are out Ooh, there. Enlightenment so, was cool. I kind of um, like that one. Yeah, their own only problem really was that just they they kind of aren't. They, they, they develop really slowly. It yeah. takes them years to roll out new features, and it's just not something you're going to see rapid development on. So that, that's kind of hurt them. Yeah. But, all right, we'll, we'll do another episode yeah. on, on that, on window managers. But on the distro side, for businesses, it's usually a choice between Red Hat and Ubuntu, right? Depending on whether you need the latest libraries and support, that's Ubuntu, or more stability and support, that's Red Hat. Uh, and then on the end user side, we're normally going to fall between Ubuntu and Fedora. Now, you're noticing a little pattern here is that Ubuntu got mentioned in both scenarios. So if you learn Ubuntu, you're going to be set for at home and at work. And so even when you have people like me saying, oh, I'm not a big fan of Ubuntu, it's still the great distro to pick out. So if you're just getting started in Linux, it's probably the one I'd recommend. Would, yeah. would you agree, Daniel? Yeah, I totally agree. Easy to install. Uh, you click next 15 times and you're done. And... Um... Like you said, they just got everything under the sun. So if there's something you're used to having, it might have an equivalent somewhere inside of an Ubuntu distribution. So yeah. it's, an, it's an easier transition. And you'll find a lot of times if you go, like I mentioned video games, if you go to Steam's website, they have an installer package for Ubuntu. They don't have one for Fedora. But if I go and download Google Chrome, they have it for Fedora and Ubuntu, but they don't have it for Red Hat. Right. So that's going to impact us also because the applications are going to be really important for what we run. There's great applications for all of them, though. You just kind of have to look. But. Yeah. All right. So if you get bored, definitely be sure to check out the DistroWatch website. They really have some great information there on the distros. Do be careful, though, because the, the reports they give will always focus on what's popular this month. And there's a lot of flash-in-the-pan distros that come out, and they're really popular <laughs> for a few months, and then they disappear. And you don't want to get tied onto one of those because then you're just going to have to migrate away later, and it's a pain in the butt. So make sure you choose established distributions that have been around, that show a high level of support. And if you're doing this in a business, make sure it's somebody where you can buy a support agreement. You don't actually have to buy the support agreement, but you could wait until something really goes <laughs> bad and then break out that credit card and call them on the phone. At least there was somebody there. You know, yeah. you don't want to rely on the people in the forums because they're, well, they're mostly jerks. So, <laughs> so there, there's that. I knew I saw you there, Don. <laughs> That's why I practice my trolling skills. That guys. A-hole. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can really screw with any, like, make, make up a, a question, Daniel. Okay. Um, how do I create a custom chain in IP tables? Why are you still using IP tables? <laughs> yeah, everybody's using Firewall D these yeah. days. IP tables is stupid. I, I, I asked a question about, like, <laughs> Uh, trying to hide, I was, it was an IP tables question about, <laughs> is there a way to hide something, uh, um, uh, or, or send back an RST so that I can fool an Nmap scan into thinking that it's actually closed when it's open. And they're like, a real hacker's just going to look for it anyway. You're going to try it anyway. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just asking. I just want to be able to know if I can or cannot do something. And, uh, yeah, I had to weed through the, yeah. 
Yeah, the vitriol. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I think uh, we've probably imparted all the wisdom we're going to be able to impart <laughs> yeah, today. It's starting to digress. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope you guys enjoyed it. Stay tuned. Uh, you know, or be sure to tune back in as we have more IT Pro TV podcasts coming up. And if you have any ideas for podcasts, always feel free to reach out, shoot us an email, hit us on Twitter. Tweet or us, whatever it is yes. that you want to do. I don't you can you can actually write on a piece of paper and put it in these envelopes. Smoke signals. Yeah, hell, we yep. totally. Yep. We, were, we were talking about phones, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the Galaxy Note Seven. It was That's just right. an advanced smoke signaling That's system. All it was. <laughs> yeah, people misinterpreted. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. I've been your host, Don Pizzette. and I'm Daniel Lowry. And thanks for watching.